Welcome to the first ever episode of Why Was It Successful? Today, we're going to be, obviously in honor of the new Star Wars movie coming out, we're going to be talking about the uh, first Star Wars movie ever uh, called Star Wars, also known as Episode Four, also known as A New Hope. And we're going to be keeping our conversation to that movie. I mean, obviously, there's a lot to talk about with Star Wars. There's the prequels, there's you know, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi, and the Expanded Universe, and all that. And we're really just going to try to keep our conversation to... A New Hope, and why was that movie such a successful movie, and why did it why did it start what it started? I mean, the phenomenon that is Star Wars. So to join me here on today talking about A New Hope, uh, we got a really good panel here. We have very diverse uh, roles in the film industry. They're all industry professionals working in the industry right now, and I'll go ahead and let them introduce themselves. Curtis, Curtis Kidd, uh, I specialize in makeup and wardrobe do some work in props and dabble a little bit wherever else people need me but but yeah that's my focus is is kind of behind the scenes wardrobe related cool Ty? i'm ty nelson um work as an actor here and there wherever i can get work and uh, uh recently uh produced uh, my own star wars fan film called legacy of the force uh, you can catch it on YouTube. Just punch that in or LegacyOfTheForceFanFilm.com. Check it out. And uh, Sterling. Sterling. Um, I'm Sterling Andrews. I've done mostly camera work, um, camera op, and some, some DP stuff. And uh, right now I'm working on some short films as well. Great. Do you anything you want to send them to? Anything you want to pitch right now? Uh, not at the moment. There will be some. <laughs> More to come. More to come. Yeah. Curtis, is there any projects you've got? Uh, I'm kind of in the same. I've got projects, but none of them are at a point where they're ready to be pitched. So. <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> Everything's still on the drawing board. Fair enough. <laughs> well, we do want to do a special shout out. Thank you to Robin and Studios for providing the studio space and the cameras and all the stuff here for us. Uh, Robin and Studios did just complete a, their very first feature length film, which I was heavily involved in. So I definitely want you to go look at. I, uh, I am Cameron Porter, I am a writer and director, and I actually wrote and directed this movie, Paradox, which is, uh, if, you're, if you like Terminate, the old Terminator movies, like the first and the second one, then you'll like this, because it's better than any movies since any Terminator movies since then. So check it out, it's available on Vimeo, and you can also buy it on our website, uh, rhsvideos.com. So, thank you to <coughs> Robin Hood Studios for that. And now, we're going to go ahead and get started by talking about why we think that the original Star Wars movie was so successful. So one of the first things I wanted to mention, and I was just, earlier today, I was listening to the soundtrack as I worked, and just the beginning, that very first fanfare that plays as the words are scrolling, like, how, like, how do you make words scrolling epic? You do it with that music. And that got me thinking that that music... The soundtrack, I mean, the only word for it is iconic. I mean, the, the soundtrack was really just spot on. I mean, the, the Luke's theme, the Imperial theme, the Rebel theme, I mean, all of it is just so memorable. And I think that that played a huge role in, you know, in bringing the audience into the film. Yeah, I'm, I'm not well-versed in music aside from just the aspect of listening to it, but I remember reading a lot of articles that talked about how John Williams really for a film score he wrote this the way the great classical composers of ages past wrote you know their entire symphonies where he set up a central theme and had side themes that explored 
these different aspects of it and, and just he it, it's become a modern day masterpiece that stacks up against any of the the classics from you know Beethoven and Mozart and oh yeah absolutely so well and so one of my buddies said that this movie A New Hope got a soundtrack or a score that it didn't deserve John Williams <laughs> it brought so much to it mm. that it, it was it, it, when you're thinking about a space opera you, you're and then all of a sudden you get this widely versed musical score you, you're just like you're amazed and it's the first thing boom mm. you're right there with the music and uh, recently it had to have been in the past year it, an example comes to mind is that whole throne room scene where you have oh, yeah. Han and Chewie and Luke walking down and somebody did that without the music to it yeah. and just uh, it was so like well that's funny yeah and yeah. <laughs> knowing yeah I mean is it John Williams brilliance or is it George's that 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 came in there that mm. was like okay I know we're gonna have this big galactic fanfare for this march coming down being and it it was epic it, it was definitely a leap of faith mm -hmm. on George Lucas's part mm -hmm. filming because a, a lot of that stuff you take the music out of it and you're like Right, really? Like and, yeah. and you don't put the music in until you cut and edit. Yeah. So you can film it all you want, mm -hmm. and then you get into the editing bay, and you're like, okay, well, you know, this is what I want it to do, and everything like that. We're gonna have some musical fanfare here, but really, it to, to me, it's John Williams that that, that comes in yes. there and, and mm -hmm. just makes the the movie full round. Yeah, I mean, I remember watching an interview with George Lucas <laughs> uh, where he said. That he writes to music. Mm. Uh, he write he you know as he was writing the script he had music in mind and he was listening to classical tracks, and you kind know, of had that flow. And I can only assume that that went through with the editing, mm -hmm. and then he went to John and said, you know, this is the push that I want here, and this is what I env envisioned here. Mm. And I think that's probably what made that that melding possible. Mm. But that's I mean, if you look at other science fiction films of the time or shortly before stuff like that there so many of the soundtracks and scores were heavy synthesizer and really like bizarre avant-garde right and the fact that this came out and said you know what we're going with a good old-fashioned classical music score in a you know following the a great established tradition it did something, I think in a lot of ways it did something that helped bring people to the table because the film itself was, I mean, at the time science fiction was like the red-headed stepchild of the film industry pretty much. And having a, a score that was done in a style that so many people could identify with mm. made it more of a welcoming presence for people to come in and sit down to watch. Yeah, I think, you know... I've heard the theory that to make something really appealing, you have to combine the unique with the familiar. You know, there has to be enough uniqueness to it that people are interested, but there has to be enough familiarity to it that people can connect with it. And that was explained to me why the movie Jupiter Ascending didn't do very well at all, is because mm. it was all unique. There was no familiar. And that was interesting. I haven't seen the movie, but it's an interesting theory. And, it, and I actually... I'm. I wasn't born 
yet when the first Star Wars <laughs> movie came out. But uh, I remember I'm hearing at the time similar to that, you know, where the science fiction genre, especially a movie like Star Wars, was really unique. It was a pretty unique idea, especially the way he did it. We're not. It, it wasn't all shiny stuff. It didn't all look brand new. It looked used. It looked dirty. It looked grimy. You know, it looked real. That was really unique. And so I think that, yeah, the com combining that with a very familiar type of score, rather than the really spacey noises, I think that that probably played a big part. So, I was there was a shot specifically I want to ask you about. Mm -hmm. It's right after the credits. It's right after the credits. The camera either pans up or, or, or tilts up or tilts down. And then you've got the Rebel ship going, and then the Star Destroyer coming, and it's that big, long thing where the, you got the Star Destroyer going there. And I feel like that was a successful shot. Yeah. I feel like it was a good shot. I mean, it's been satirized a lot, like especially in Spaceballs. I mean, that was hilarious. Mm. But I feel like it was a really successful shot, and I just can't figure out why. I also wasn't alive. You feel as old as I do right now? <laughs> I don't. <laughs> but, you know, I've watched a lot of, I've actually watched a lot of movies, and I'm pretty familiar with a lot of different movies from a lot of different time periods. But I understand that was unique at the time. Like, now it's kind of a cliche. But at the time that, you know, people just hadn't seen that before, of just kind of the empty space, and the ship comes in, and it keeps going, and it keeps going, and it keeps going, and the shot doesn't end. And it gives you a sense of scale, because... There's a planet in part of the frame, and then the ship just takes up like the whole frame. Mm -hmm. It's just huge. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, it was a very, it was an, it was an awesome shot. It kind of, um, you're just kind of like, what? What's happening? It just keeps going, and it keeps going, and it keeps going. <laughs> so. So one thing I want to ask, and I actually want to ask this to Ty. Um, you know, there have been some that have criticized Mark Hamill's performance. Mm. I'm not one of them. I, I feel like he did a great job. I feel like he really sold Luke Skywalker. Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of people really connect, myself included, you know, as I was growing up, I grew up on Star Wars, and I, I you know, really connected with Luke. Mm -hmm. um, do you, I mean, do you think Luke's performance, especially when compared to, you know, like Alec Guinness and Harrison Ford, you know, do you think Luke, uh, Mark Hamill's performance really added to the success of Star Wars, or did it detract? What do you think? I don't think it either added nor detracted. Uh, I could be wrong, but Mark Hamill was um, a newbie actor at the time. So when you're talking about Harrison Ford's skill as an actor or Sir Alec Guinness's skill, then it's different versions. I, I as an actor, could not... Uh, at, at the different levels, I can't speak to someone who's got so much time and and worked in the industry at a far better level than I have. So um, uh, the, the story, when, when it comes down to that, uh, uh, a person's acting, um, it's not just their ability, but it's also the ability of the director to bring that to the screen. And then also it's the story itself. You know, and so all of that intermixed. It's never just one thing. I mean, you could say, oh, that, that's a flat actor. That's a flat actor. Well, even when you have a... Fl Let's go into the prequels for a second here. <laughs> um, you had some brilliant actors working on it. Samuel L. Jackson, Ian McDermott, Ewan McGregor, uh, Liam Neeson, um, Natalie Portman. Um, and... They're all really good actors. So why are they saying, oh, they're flat, they're wooden? Is it their acting? Or is it the direction? 
or is it the story? It's for, for you as the audience member to what affects you to be able to tell that. But if you can't just blame an actor for what's being put out onto the screen, it, you can't. Um, it, it, now you can, the actor themselves should be critical of their own performance. Like, I should have worked hard on this. This is, that's it's my bad. Just like a quarterback. It's like, sorry man, didn't get back to you. That's my bad. You know, take, yeah. it, take and blame. But at the same time, it's up to the director. It's it's up to the to the writer being like, nah, that's my fault. That, and, and take responsibility for it. So, Mark Hamill, yeah, it, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, I I was around for A New Hope when it came out. <laughs> I was a kid. I loved the, yeah. the the movie. So there was nothing to me at that point in time. I was like, oh, that's bad. That's bad. I was a kid. I loved it. Well, and I like you. I was was around when it first came out, and you know, kids my age, we went and saw it, and we all identified with. You know, we wanted to be Luke Skywalker, or Princess Leia, and you know, Luke. so we wanted to be Luke. We wanted to be Han. I'm kidding. I wanted to be Luke. <laughs> That's well. As the thing that's funny is, as my friends and I got older, it's like you know, I Luke was kind of whiny. I'd rather be Han. Oddly or, enough, uh, as I've gotten older, I loved Han when I was young. But I find my life be more like Luke, be finding this <laughs> journey. It's really interesting to see how your life progresses. Mm. Your monitor went off, by the way. <laughs> oh, it's probably, the battery's probably dead. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> so, I think another uh, thing that Didn't really us. made no problem. It, you know that made the film successful is that there were character arcs. Mm. You know, as a writer, I look for that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. I look for a progression of character. And Han, he's the same guy, but he makes a change. He does make a change. He makes a different decision, and he's not a different guy. He just he kind of saw the light a little bit, mm -hmm. and he made a little bit of a change. And then, and then I think Mark, Luke, you know, goes through. He makes a change. He becomes more responsible. He becomes more of an adult. Mm -hmm. And you know, I think Leia doesn't necessarily go through much of an, a character arc of her own, but her relationships with Luke and Han definitely go through an arc, mm -hmm. go through a progression. And I think that that really contributed to, uh, you know, making the movie as entertaining and gripping as it is, because you're watching these characters react in ways that you would, you know, if you were in that situation, you'd react that way. It's very realistic the way they reacted, and the way they mm -hmm. they performed, and then they changed over the course of time. And I think that that was one of the really effective things that they did. In the yeah, movie. it's it, as an audience member watching a film. It's really frustrating to me if you have all this incredible action that takes place and the character ends up in the same place they started out because nobody I know is like that. And and one of the great things about Star Wars was everybody was affected somehow and you saw the the results of those effects over the course of the, the whole story. So, Yeah, totally. Um, there's not... I wouldn't say that Star, the original Star Wars movie is really known for its really artistic camera work. And it's not really known for its, you know, its special, like, really complicated shots. Like, 
the big thing now is to do you know one long take or to you know really play with the colors and just make these gorgeous shots and I don't really notice that much in the original Star Wars. It's all pretty utilitarian, if you think about it. Like, it's all very straightforward. You know, obviously they've got, you know, their rule of thirds, and they, they show what's important, and they show the action, and they keep the subject in focus, obviously. But why do you think, I mean, do you think that they it would have been more successful if they had tried a little harder to incorporate some more artistic shots, or do you think it was good the way it was? Um, you gotta look at the different Star Wars movies and see, you know, different directors. Um, the Empire Strikes Back was directed by a guy named Irvin Kirshner. He's like a more artistic director, and that is a more beautiful film, I guess, mm -hmm. from the you know, just from the standpoint of cinematography. Turn of the Jedi was directed by somebody I don't remember, but um, another different director. And then of course George Lucas went back for the prequels. But yeah, no, I just think it works for what it is. You know, every movie is its own little world in a sense. So. Um, Things happen in Star Wars that yeah, I'm trying to think of like a good a good counterpoint here, like what's like a really serious movie that's you know, been around the, the same time period, but um, um, not same time period, but same genre, sunshine. Um, yeah, and, and if you, you get in, it's more of an artsy type movie that, mm -hmm. in some way, was successful, but um, uh, it definitely. A, a different aspect, or even Aliens. Yeah, Aliens is a good example. Or Because it came out a couple years later, mm -hmm. and it's also sci-fi, and also does what you talked about with the old used space. Mm -hmm. But you couldn't, even though they're both science fiction and they're both made in the late 70s, you couldn't swap scenes between the two. It never worked, you know. Um, the style of acting's different, the cinematography's different, the writing's different. Mm -hmm. And so the world, whatever it is, just has to be believable. And, you know, Star Wars works, it's consistent, so the acting's goofy, and yeah, the camera works straightforward and stuff, but it's just a fun, goofy ride, I don't know, it works for what it is. <laughs> well, so, and I, I, I like the look of the cinematography, I think mm -hmm. it's a beautiful movie, it's, it's pretty simple, mm -hmm. but you know, um, the, all the shots out in the desert, it's like Tatooine, you know, yeah. where he sees the farm burning, he sees the multiple moons or whatever, and mm. all the other stuff. It's cool. Yeah. Multiple there's suns. suns. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I think there's actually a, a practical reason for sticking with basic bread and butter cinematography for that. Mm -hmm. Because everything else they were doing in that movie, all the special effects that they pioneered for it, the they were using... Most of their actors were known as stage actors or they were not known at all. The, there were so many things they were doing that were gambles that they kind of had to play it safe. They couldn't afford to gamble on wasting footage on this would be a really artistic shot yeah. if we can make it work. That makes a lot of sense. Well, and Ridley Scott shortly after did uh, Blade Runner with Harrison Ford, a very cinema cinematic movie, uh, noir um, which in the initial run of the film was a flop. It's only because of uh, the fans who took notice of it afterwards that that is like, wow, this is you know, that is a great piece of work, and that the the style of shooting what uh, was beautiful. Um, so uh, definitely the differentiations. Yeah. So in the the theater, something like that shot as you were saying, likely failed because people were not grasping a hold or seeing what was going on, um, while Star Wars was just okay, right in front of you. 
Maybe. I don't know. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think most directors, you can look at their work and um, see, you know, it's like the idea of the auteur. You know, they have their, their, their signature style. And so even if they have different DPs coming in or different this and that, they usually have a kind of recognizable style. And I think that's just George Lucas's style, you know. I, mm. I don't think it's too, like, elaborate or... Um, and I don't think the camera calls too much attention to itself. And um, it's funny if you listen to interviews from him. Like, I don't want to go on a segue here, but, like, he hated working with film. <laughs> he just hated it. He hates film. And he's, he's pretty vocal about that. And um, the special effects were really tricky, and they're trying to work with all that. And um, he hated the process of trying to actually photograph models and photograph paintings and somehow put it together in film. Mm. And so I'd imagine when they were doing stuff on set, he was probably just like, let's get this done. <laughs> I'm sure you're wrong about that. Put the stabilization rig away. I don't know Tripod. Yeah. So, yeah, that makes so. a lot of sense. I think, yeah, you know, what you said made a lot of sense too. Where, and they're really experimenting with so much already that, you know, just play it safe with the shots. We're doing, we're working so hard on the visual effects. This is already complicated enough. Let's keep the camera work really simple. I think that makes a lot of sense. And that, that jives with what you said about Empire Strikes Back. Mm. Because on the second movie, th it was a little bit more tried and true. They, they were treading familiar turf. And so they were like, and so yeah, the director says, yeah, well, we've got this figured out. We've got all these really complicated things that we got figured out in the first movie. We got to figure it out now. So let's, you know, let's do a little bit more. Let's do, you know, try to make it a little bit more immersive with the camera work. So well, and I think in a lot of ways that kind of laid the groundwork for other directors who came later in science fiction to get more artistic with their camera work mm -hmm. because, you know, Star Wars proved that you can sell science fiction to a, a wide audience and people mm -hmm. will go and see it. So at that point, theater or studios become more willing to gamble on somebody who's going to, you know, blow this larger percentage of their budget just on film stock as opposed to spending all the money on special effects and let's just get by with as little film as we possibly can. Mm -hmm. I've so, heard that the production process of the first one was just a mess sometimes at times. I mean, all productions have that, mm -hmm. you know, have a lot of drama and, you know, you got to figure a bunch of stuff out. But I, I, you know, in reading articles on the topic and looking at, uh, and watching interviews, I guess it was really quite messy for a lot of it, the, the production process. And for a lot of it, George Lucas was just really worried that it just wasn't going to happen. And Fox, I guess, almost pulled the plug a couple of times because they went over budget and then went over budget again. And, you know, a lot of stuff happened. So it was really interesting. Um, I mean, what if Fox had pulled the plug and not allowed it to happen? Just crazy. Oh. Just absolutely crazy. Millions of dollars of merchandising loss. Oh, man. Billions. Probably wouldn't even be in business anymore. But uh, let's see. So what other questions did I have for you guys? What else do you guys think made it successful? I mean, what things have we not touched on that you think contributed to it starting such a... I mean, it, it, it's, it started more than just a movie, obviously. More than just a trilogy. It started more than movies. It started a whole subculture. Now, well, I think... One aspect of it, and this was actually the first thing that came to mind when you mentioned what we were going to be discussing, was just Lucas took a, a very different approach to how he presented this world than other science fiction that had been done at the time. Um, Sci-fi films from that era tend to be very, very heavy on the exposition. and 
you need to know who this person is and why this faction exists and and all of this and Lucas just kind of said you know what here you are this is the deep end figure it out as you go I mean aside from that opening scroll we got very little background mm -hmm. and he just kind of relied on the the visual storytelling aspects of it you know the the bad guys were all very faceless and and uniform in appearance and the good guys were very you know open and easily identifiable and stuff like that yeah. so everyone could kind of pick up the pieces as they went but he didn't he treated the audience as intelligent enough to be able to do that where the the reigning philosophy of the time was if they don't understand all of this before we start they're never going to follow it and in a lot of ways that revolutionized what we as an audience experience when we go to watch science fiction movies because we don't you know uh, well some movies still do a lot but but we don't get you know five minutes of spoon-fed exposition before they actually start telling us the story yeah that's a really good point the visual storytelling i hadn't even really thought about that too much but it's i mean it's pretty clear who the bad guy is from that first shot mm. little ship getting chased by big ship mm -hmm. pretty clear who the bad guys are and then you got the good guys their faces are visible they're wearing helmets but their faces are visible and the stormtroopers come in they're faceless uh you know they're clones we don't know that i guess um, actually they were not clones oh were they not stormtroopers aren't clones stormtroopers are is after the clone wars so they're no longer using clones they've started recruiting to other yeah, ex exactly so they're, they're actually anybody who fit in the armor <laughs> exactly um he knows his stuff go see his shirt <laughs> well and of course everything is up to speculation because is uh everything has changed now with the force awakens coming out to to what they're going to call canon and what they're not but they have a whole expanded universe line about books and everything and, and who it, what factions are what and everything but it, it, to, to me even before yeah, so before the prequels one two and three four five and six we had no idea that they were if they were clones or if they were a possibility of being clones yeah. well we we had to guess whether if they were actually people or droids that were inside those things until Han and Luke got into the, the costumes themselves. And true. You're, yeah, you're, true. You're like, okay, well, that they were people and said, this is armor, right? So, um, but, uh, uh, <coughs> so, point being is that they were, later on, at, the stormtroopers were regular people, not clones. I think to it, my knowledge. And that's, that's something I didn't know. <laughs> that's cool, <laughs> That's really interesting. I think, I mean, what made it so clear that they were the bad guys. I mean, obviously they were the ones attacking, so that was part of it. Mm. But I think it was very clever, very brilliant to have them have face, have their faces covered. Mm. You know, it, it, it's hard to empathize or sympathize with someone when you can't see their eyes. Mm. And then I remember the very first time I watched Star Wars, I was seven years old. Mm. And I remember, I was, my dad sat me down, he's like, you've got to watch this with me. I'm like, okay. Um, and, uh, you know, I watched that scene and then Darth Vader comes in. Mm. And as a seven-year-old, it's like, well, that's the head stormtrooper. Mm -hmm. He's the, or and I didn't say stormtroopers. Like that's that he's the guy in charge of all the white guys, mm -hmm. or the guys in the white suits, and so I mean, and he just looks so evil. Mm -hmm. I mean, Darth Vader looks so evil. He's covered in black. Mm -hmm. You know, the face. He's got like these fang things. Mm -hmm. You know, the things that resemble fangs yep. coming off of his chin. I mean, he just he looks so evil, mm -hmm. and it's so easy to follow. The breath along with it too. Though. Oh yeah, the, <sighs> the yeah. Just, you know, 
Like, you just get it, and it's so obvious. Like, okay, these are the good guys, these are the bad guys. And you don't need to know the intricacies of, ooh, what plans are they talking about? Well, why do they want this girl? I mean, you find out pretty quick. They call her Princess Leia. They say, oh, they start talking about the Senate and stuff, and that can get a little confusing, but you don't need to know that. It's more of a minutia thing. You've got the basic storyline. You understand what's at stake. You understand that these are the good guys, the bad guys. I think that visual storytelling is a huge point, and he does that throughout the entire film. One of the things I wanted to bring up was just uh, Luke's home life. Mm -hmm. You don't talk about Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru very often, mm -hmm. but we should, <laughs> because that was just painted so perfectly. Like, the farmhouse and their performances. I mean, Uncle Owen was just my dad. Like, the way he shuffles around and, you know, say, and makes Luke do his chores instead of going and playing and surprises Luke with chores he didn't know he had before he needed to go play, you know, all business, no fun, kind of closed off a little bit, a little quieter, and then, you know, especially when he finds out that Luke took the droids out, you mm -hmm. know, in that one kitchen scene, yeah. he's like, well, we better have them back in the fields by midday or they'll be hell to pay, and he just kind of shuffles off. I mean, he just did a really good <coughs> job, in my opinion, uh, creating an empathizable character mm -hmm. and an empathizable home environment for Luke. And I think that as people behave... You know, that was one of the things that was really well done with the movie in general, is that people behave the way that we can relate to. You know, the military men, they stand with their back straight and they act like military men. I mean, that's pretty common in movies, I guess. It's not remarkable, but, you know, and the, all of the characters just act the way we would expect them to act. And it brings us in, so even though they're talking, even though we're watching X-Wings and the Death Star, it kind of feels the same as if we were watching Top Gun. You know, the, 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 I mean, obviously they were shot differently. The styles mm -hmm. are different. But it could be like NF-16 mm -hmm. and a military base of some kind. I mean, the way the, that they talk to each other, they have code names, they have numbers, you know, they, they have communications with headquarters. You know what I mean? Like it, it Well, and, and George Lucas did, he relied very heavily on, like, footage from World War II movies and gun camera footage and stuff like that for plotting out basically you used gun camera footage to do animatics for what they were going to do with the, the miniature work oh. and so it, it <laughs> was gotcha. it's it, it, it was that was one of the reasons that it worked was because even though the pieces were different what they were doing was very familiar because mm. people had seen you know there were I have no idea how many World War II movies were out at that point, but but there was a long line of them, and and mm. many of them, you know, were like Battle of Midway and and stuff like that, where you had planes flying out from a carrier and attacking another carrier, and, and that felt that aspect of it felt very familiar to people. Hmm. So we've talked about the score. We've talked about the actors' performances. We've talked about the writing and the character arcs, the visual storytelling. We talked about the you know the camera shots and you know how they worked for George Lucas's style and why he did it that way. Is there anything else you guys can think of specifically that contributed to the success of Star Wars? The original. I truthfully, when it comes down to it, it's the storytelling in itself. What George Lucas did was borrowed from a lot of stuff that was already out there. Mm. Uh, Kurosawa. Uh, Th things that worked before um, and brought them into the story. And uh, you hit upon it a little bit, and you, uh, to, for me, my perspective is is that this isn't science fiction. It's science 
um, fantasy. Hmm. It's the mythos that, that brings us in, that, that, that really attaches us as kids going into it. You know, it's the mystery of it. You know, uh, when when um, Obi-Wan's talking about uh, years ago, your father worked in Clone Wars, or actually that's, that's yeah. in Leia's thing, but you, know, you get a little bit of background, and it's not explained, but it's, oh, wow, it's a bigger universe out there. The stormtroopers with their things down. We don't know what's underneath it. We we don't know what's going on, on you know, who they are or anything like that. And we're so interested. In it. It's the mystery. J.J. Uh, Abrams says it. It's, it's the little mystery box and it, that that draws us in. That we're so clued in. We want to know. It's compelling story mm. that brings us in. And it was. It was a compelling story that we'd seen before, or those uh, had seen before and Kurosawa films and, and other films of uh, that genre that Lucas, I don't want to say stole from, but um, acquired, put, put into his work. Paid homage to. Yes, paid homage to and made it his own, right? Um, and um, did it well. We haven't heard much from you, Sterling. <laughs> what are your thoughts on Star Wars? Uh, I guess the biggest thing he did for success, well, actually the thought I had is a quote from William Goldman who says that the movies are a lottery. <laughs> Essentially, you never you never can predict what will be mm -hmm. successful. Mm -hmm. But I think if he did something that contributed to success, it was just the world building that mm -hmm. you're talking about. And uh, he talked about how with, um, you referenced Kurosawa a little bit, he talked about how his, his inspiration was the fact that when he was going to film school, he went and saw Kurosawa's films that, you know, they're Japanese, um, they're, they're all these samurai movies, Seven mm -hmm. Samurai and uh, Hidden Fortress and stuff, and um, different language, subtitles, cultural things that you don't understand, but you can sit down and watch them as, as a Westerner, as an American, you can still understand them, you can still follow them, hmm. um, because it's really basic storylines, like we need to rescue the princess, <laughs> and this and that, and... Uh, but it's a whole different world, and so, you know, he says, like, his reaction when he sat down and watched a Kurosawa film is just, like, you're just looking around, you're trying to figure out what's going on, and then by the time the movie's over, you're, you're still, like, exploring that world, you're still trying to figure it out. Mm -hmm. So that's what he wanted to do with Star Wars. Hmm. And now everybody's so familiar with Star Wars, it's gone to the opposite end, where we know all the details, <laughs> and it's overly familiar. Like, if Star Wars comes on, you're like, oh, I've seen this a million times, it's just commonplace. What? But I, I, <laughs> How dare you? I, I, would imagine, I would imagine, and again, I, I wasn't there when it first came out, but I imagine when it first came out that it was like, whoa, this is this is totally unique. And um, so I think that's probably one of the biggest keys of success. That it. may be why the prequels didn't do as well, is because we, we'd seen A New Hope, The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, and the expect, expectations were here. Mm. And so when we saw Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, Revenge of the Sith, it was like, well, it's already commonplace. Mm -hmm. we, we, sh give us something more. And for, for, I think what didn't work is the compelling story. Mm. And the prequels, the compelling story wasn't there. Um, and yeah. we'd already seen everything else. You, know, you, you can flatter us with all these great pictures and all, ooh, the, this, the CGI, which sometimes helped and sometimes didn't. Um, it, you're, you're like, okay, that's cool. It's a pretty picture, but we're here for the story. It's a, it's a cinematic story. And so if people are going to a movie 
Really, I mean, we, we mentioned Bay earlier. Yeah, mm -hmm. you, you turn off the sound. You don't care about the story. You're watching the pretty pictures, and that's it. Right. Yeah. Well, and you mentioned the the prequels, and one thing that I think he did really well in the original trilogy that kind of fell flat in the prequels mm -hmm. was creating believable characters. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you look at episodes four, five, and six. You don't have, with the exception occasionally of C-3PO, you don't have a comic relief character. Mm. The comic relief comes from the interaction between people, like it happens to us in real life. Right, yeah. You, you, you don't have someone who's the designated class clown and everything that happens to them is to lighten the mood. <laughs> it's it's uh, not so subtle reference to George. <laughs> <laughs> we had to say the name. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. But uh, well, hold on. Since we're there, have you guys seen the the other? It's another YouTube video that basically said Jar Jar is a Sith Lord. Yeah, I've seen that. It, it, it's it's interesting. <laughs> totally false. Totally false. But yeah, just every little thing that got plugged. It's like, oh, he could have been, and it could have been interesting if it went that direction. But. <laughs> I have to check that one out. I haven't seen that it's, one yet. It's funny. You're sitting there. You're like, holy cow. Wait a minute. Oh, wait, wait. It, it, it just, <laughs> it's funny. But that was, to me, that was one of the things that I really missed when I watched the prequels was, you know, you had in the, the first trilogy, you had all this incredible banter and interaction going back and forth. And, and you had the serious scene and somebody would make a wisecrack and, you know, they, they yeah. just get out of, you know, escape from a trash compactor and they're, everyone's like, thank goodness we're still alive. And all of a sudden Princess Leia's like, someone get this walking carpet out of my way. You know, you don't have, and, and he didn't do that in the prequels. And True. that's something that doesn't happen a lot. One film that keeps coming to mind as I, I try and think about how Star Wars kind of redefined what we expect from science fiction movies if you ever compare Star Wars to Logan's Run. Mm. Because Logan's Run has this very, you know, it's supposed to be a utopian mm -hmm. society and stuff, but none of the characters in that society are familiar. Everything is different, and it, it's not until people start getting outside of that society. To me, the movie becomes interesting about a third of the way into it when all of a sudden you start leaving that idealized society behind. And Lucas said, you know what? Yeah, it's a science fiction movie, but this is not a science fiction world. This is a real world that just happens to have a lot of really technological cool okay. stuff. Yeah. And because of that, we could connect with the, the characters and the setting and, you know, going back to that whole thing of, of giving us something familiar that we can kind of attach to. Yeah, I totally agree. <laughs> I mean, I think that everything we've talked about is spot on. I mean, I think you guys brought up some really good points, stuff that I hadn't thought about really at all. And I think that everything we've talked about really did contribute a lot to the success. I do think also that, you know, the success of the original Star Wars was maybe, you know, this big. And then Empire built on it. So it wasn't just the original Star Wars that, you know, made it into the phenomenon it is today. It was Empire, and it was Return of the Jedi. And for a whole generation, I exclude myself from that generation, but for an entire another generation, the prequels did as well. Um, so I do also, I forgot to mention, I'm really proud of it. These are three 
original version Star Wars VHS tapes, not special edition. Took me a long time to track them down. Hmm. Have you seen the uh, despecialized editions? The despecialized editions? No. <laughs> uh, you can look up, uh, you just YouTube it, but somebody, I mean a whole group of people, went to all the trouble to try to recreate the original Star Wars, mm -hmm. since Lucas hasn't really put it out there. And um, so they're just like combing the world for like original film prints and like wow. this and that and, and all these elements that they can find and then like... I mean, it's, it's, it's a video sound. file, and you know, digitally yeah. compiling it, but trying to make it look original, and Whew. they they go through like frame by frame and remove the special effects that they put in. <laughs> so, yes. That's hilarious. YouTube the despecialized edition. Yeah, <laughs> I, I had to laugh when when <clears throat> Disney bought Star Wars, and everyone was like, "Oh no, this is the worst thing that ever happened to Star Wars." And the first thing Disney did was turn around and announce that they were going to release Blu-ray editions of the original theatrical release, and I was like. Okay, they just whatever else they're gonna do, they just redeem themselves <laughs> for. Just... <laughs> there, there's thousands of people around the world that went. There actually is hope for us. So, <laughs> all right. Well, I mean, I think we pretty much covered it. I, I want to thank you guys for coming. I really appreciate your input, and this has been fun. I mean, I hope I can get you guys to come in for another future movie. We're gonna be doing, uh, we're gonna be doing a lot of movies, hopefully, and not just Star Wars. We're focusing on Star Wars now, obviously, because Force Awakens is coming out. Uh, before the end of this year, we're also going to hit at least one of the Back to the Future movies because it's 2015. you got to do that. Uh, we're also going to move on to some other films. And uh, you can watch us on YouTube. That's probably where you're watching now. We also do a podcast, which you can find on iTunes. Um, and uh, just got to look at my script here because I'm not memorized. Uh, that's pretty much it. Just subscribe. <laughs> oh, again, really quick, really quick. Uh, thank you, Curtis Kidd, Ty Nelson, and Sterling Andrews. Uh, go check out Ty's. These guys don't have anything going on, but yeah. Ty here. You'll, you'll get a chance to look at our stuff later, but go go look but at Ty's our, project. Well, since we're on camera right now, yeah, Legacy of the Force. It's a fan film. It takes place after Return of the Jedi. So, of course, no longer canon. has nothing to do with the Force Awakens or anything like that. Han and Leia's kids. Uh, it's fun. If you like it, uh, share it with anyone you like. And I actually started, he got here early, and he had me watching it as I was kind of setting up. And, I mean, I wasn't able to fully focus on it, but it was really good. I mean, what I was able to see, it was actually really good, which you don't see a lot in Stop fan it. films. Stop <laughs> it right now. Stop. So I definitely would encourage you to go see it. Uh, go check it out on YouTube. It's free on YouTube. Also, you can go check out uh, Paradox. Highly recommend it. It's not free, but it costs a lot to produce, and it's a feature-length film, so it's worth it. You can uh, rent it or buy it on Vimeo On Demand, uh, or you can order the DVD or Blu-ray on our website, www.rhsvideos.com. Thanks for uh, watching. Hopefully you'll subscribe, and we'll uh, visit you next week with Empire Strikes Back and a whole new panel. So thanks so much.